Parenting teens is hard. Parenting teens in crisis is even harder, and we live in a culture that is really good at hiding. You know, we keep these struggles tucked in real tight around us, and so when something happens in our families that's tough and maybe even a little embarrassing, we feel like we're all alone. I promise you that you're not alone. But you definitely need a place where you can be a part of honest conversations that give a voice to the challenges you're facing. A place that normalizes the hard that we have to walk through with our teenagers. So I'm inviting you to join us on this path towards healing, where we'll discuss topics that drive out shame and teach us how to navigate the emotions and uncertainty that come with parenting a teenager facing the juvenile court system. This twice-monthly podcast is presented by Pathways to Hope Network, and we strive to do all of that while honoring the unyielding love a mother has for her child. Hey, you made it. I wondered if you would find the time this week, friend. I know that right now you are juggling all the things and finding a little time to shut off the chatter in your brain is challenging. I'm curious about what your favorite way to listen is. Do you tune in while you wash dishes? Do you go for a walk and listen on some headphones? Those are my two favorite times to pour back into myself, but maybe for you, it's when you crawl into bed. And something happens as you climb under those covers and you take a deep breath and lay all your cares down for the day and push play. Well, however it happens, I'm so proud of you for making it happen. You deserve to rest from always having to be strong. It's safe for you to rest here. So let's take a couple of deep breaths together and put it all away for the next 20 or so minutes. Okay. I feel better. I don't know about you. And maybe it irritates you that I do that every time. Just hit that little fast forward 10 seconds thing if it does. I don't know. I feel like I just kind of need it. And I think that maybe you do too. So let's start off by doing a recap from our last episode, which was parenting decisions, the number one factor that should be guiding them. In this episode, We talked about how we learn how to parent from our parents modeling it, from observing other parents, from books, media, and resources, and most importantly, from on-the-job experience. We also learned that our child is both our student and our teacher. That's right. That moody, expert-in-eye-rolling and heavy-sighing, often unappreciative teenager whom we love has been assigned the role of teaching us how to parent. It's like the ultimate escape room 
where we're watching closely for clues and trying to crack the code on the magic combination that is going to get us out of this experience. Only we never seem to actually solve it. See, in them, we're able to see our flaws and their flaws intertwined. We see our mistakes and their mistakes woven into one tapestry. We see the limits of their humanity and the limits of our own. And this learning process takes us through a cycle of trying something and introspection and trying something else and failure and trying something different and introspection and so on and so on and so forth. And all the while, we're learning and we're growing into the parents that we were always meant to become. And that entire episode was setting the groundwork for the subject we are going to begin talking about today. The learning curve or process where we develop the skills we need in order to become more effective in how we are able to parent our teens through crisis. Now, back in the 1970s, Noel Birch, who worked for an institute by the name of Gordon Training International, developed the idea that all of our learning takes place in four different stages. In his research, he identified that our psychological state is connected to our ability to master a new skill. Now, if you've ever tried to learn anything new, I'm sure that you recognize how many different emotions come into play when we're being challenged to master something new. It's common for us to experience feelings of frustration and judgment, failure, and perseverance at varying degrees and varying times. A common misconception of parents with teens in crisis is that we think that since we've already been parenting for 12 plus years, we should already know how to handle this stage of mayhem that we're entering. And when we don't, the story that we tell ourselves is that we're failing. But let's push pause and call out the complete ridiculousness of that once and for all, shall we? If you worked in a company for 12 plus years, and over those 12 plus years, you were able to hone in all the skills necessary to do your job well. So well, in fact, that you were able to help others who were struggling find the answers that they were looking for. And one day, someone decided that you would now be in control of crisis management for the company, something you have zero experience in. What would happen? Would you step into this new position seamlessly, instinctually knowing how to respond to every situation that came up, understanding the protocol perfectly without it ever needing to be explained to you? Would you walk into that position feeling confident and competent? No, probably not for a really long time, right? Well, this is no different. Nobody ever asks us if we want to begin working towards mastering how to parent a teen in crisis. It's just thrust upon us, and all of a sudden, we begin to embark on this journey through our very own four stages of learning. So today, we're going to talk about the first stage. Some of you may find yourself in this stage today, and some of you will connect with it in the experiences you've already lived through. The first stage of learning is called unconscious incompetence. Ew, those words don't even roll off the tongue easily, so let's break them down. Unconscious is defined as the part of the mind which is inaccessible to the conscious mind, but which affects behavior and emotions. 
Incompetence is defined as the lack of ability to do something successfully or as it should be done. In other words, you don't even know yet what you don't know. And this is an accurate picture of what it's like in the beginning stages of parenting a teen in crisis. For some of us, the very first feelings we experience are shock and disbelief. We aren't even sure if we should be scared or not. During this stage, we might also have trouble recognizing problems as they're occurring, so we don't always even know to ask for help. Here, the phrase hindsight is 2020 has never been truer. We just aren't capable of seeing the situation for what it is because we've never experienced it before. It's also really common during this stage to experience mistakes or miss opportunities without having realized it. And we rely really heavy on others to guide us when we are in the unconscious incompetent stage. And there's nothing wrong with that. Think back to that example. If someone was putting you in charge of crisis management, which I mean, they kind of have, you would need to heavily rely on someone else to train you in that process before you were able to move through it successfully on your own. And this is why I said that the number one factor that should be guiding your parenting decisions is your on-the-job training in the last episode. Because most of us don't have the privilege of having somebody mentor us through this. Mostly we just feel ill-equipped and pretty lost, having no idea what our first step should be. And that's pretty common in the first stage of learning anything new. I think the two biggest obstacles you're up against in this first stage of learning is feeling, well, as the title suggests, incompetent. When we feel ignorant about what's going on, a lot of times we worry about how that might make us look as a parent. And we can definitely be our own worst critics. The other obstacle that some people experience is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. For some people, being in this stage can result in feeling overly self-confident. And that's where we come in feeling like this is all just a big, stupid mistake. And surely everyone involved will see that and will be able to just move on with life. It's more an attitude of, well, this is all just being blown way out of proportion. And I'd say that of the people that I encounter in court, there's probably 10%, 10 to 15% of them feel that way. The majority of everybody else just is feeling overwhelmed and incompetent in the situation. As far as some of the challenges of being in this stage of learning goes, I think the biggest challenge is probably isolation. When our teen enters into crisis, very few of us know who to call. That's something that we talk about on this podcast a lot, how common it is for parents of teenagers to hide their heavy. And as a result, we're left wondering, who could I possibly talk to about this? Another challenge is feelings of guilt and wondering, is this all my fault? Did I do something or not do something that brought us to this point? If there is one question that comes up over and over again throughout this process, that is the one. 
this first stage of learning is generally the most challenging stage simply because you are unconscious of the fact that there are things you're going to need to learn and areas you're going to need to improve in. You're just kind of thrust into this world and it feels like you've just been sucker punched and you're scratching your head trying to figure out why and what you should do in response. Sometimes we experience this unknowing of the unknown manifest the first time we meet with someone involved in the system who asks us if we have any questions. Um, yeah, millions of them, but I don't even know what they are. We also experience it the first time that we have to attend a court hearing for our child when we're wondering what's happening. Who are those people at the front of the courtroom? What's going to happen today or what? just happened today? What does this mean? What should I say? What should I have said or not said? I felt this during my first experience with the juvenile courts when I got a call from the staff at the detention center letting me know that my child was being held there. I remember like driving over in a panic and the way that it felt to walk through the metal detector and hear that loud metal door slam behind me. And talking to that poor person behind the glass who had to decipher what was being said between incoherent sobs and whether I was just processing everything out loud or actually asking them a question. I can't even remember what I said when I went in there, but I can imagine they probably looked over at their coworker after I walked out and said, whoa, she was a mess. I remember walking back to my car feeling numb and just spent and exhausted and sitting in the parking lot for over an hour because I just couldn't find the strength to put that car in drive and leave without my kid. My first court hearing was similar. It felt like I waited an eternity with an anxious pit in my stomach only to have them call the case and move on to the next one in under two minutes. Wait, what? What happened? Is it over? Pre-trial? What's that? Are we going to trial? My mind imagining every single courtroom drama I've ever watched on TV. Will this be like the kind of trial in A Few Good Men? Or my cousin Vinny? Oh God, this is going to trial. What is happening? The reality is that with the sheer volume of the caseloads, most times you don't get the privilege of talking to an intake probation counselor or a public defender afterwards. So you walk away with nothing but fear, anxiety, and usually a healthy dose of anger. Which is why the first six episodes I ever did of this podcast were part of a What to Expect series. If this is all resonating with you today because you are living this out in real time, go back and start there. Listen to episodes one through six. As we wrap up this episode, let me give you just a couple more tips that might be helpful in this stage. Tip number one, recognize that right now you have limitations because you don't know what you don't know. So be open to feedback from people around you. Assigned attorneys, assigned probation counselors, 
law enforcement, teachers, even judges. You don't have to automatically do what they suggest, but write it down and ponder it. If it feels right to you, then give it a try. Remember, this is all part of you learning how to parent a teenager in crisis. The second tip is pretty simple, but so powerful. Do not blame yourself. Now, I know you didn't think that I would make it through a whole podcast without giving you a quote, did you? Maya Angelou said, or at least the internet said she said, do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. See, here's the real truth that very few people are going to tell you, but I believe in ripping off the Band-Aid and letting that wound breathe as soon as possible. So lean in close and hear me on this one. The truth is, Mama, it doesn't get any easier. None of this is going to get any easier. Every ounce of it, every ounce of it is hard and heartbreaking and just shouldn't be happening. It doesn't get any easier. But you, you get stronger. Thank you for taking the time to honor yourself and the experiences that you're living through today with me. Man, I am rooting for you in such a big way, sis. Next episode, we're moving on to stage two, and we'll see how many of you can identify with this stage. If you found any of this helpful, reach out and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Remember, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. In complete transparency, I want you to know that I am not in any way, shape, or form an expert in the field of parenting. No, you're not going to find any fancy initials after this name. In fact, you know, I'm just a mom like you who had to navigate some really tough experiences with my teenage kids. And in my own desperate need for hope and healing in my family and in my life, I've spent a lot of time and energy researching and referencing all the things because if there is one thing I have learned, it's that we're stronger together. Your ratings and reviews mean so much. In fact, they can make or break a podcast. So if you found this information helpful today, would you take 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review? It would mean so much to the mama who hasn't found us yet and to me. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. And be sure to subscribe. Each week, we send out one to two messages that are designed to encourage and equip you as you find your path towards hope and healing. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Pathways to Hope Network is a nonprofit organization with a mission to serve families with children in the juvenile court system. And we do that by providing cost-free support, resources, and community. The link will always be in the show notes below. 
remember you were never meant to go through this alone. <laughs>